There we go. Yeah, it's good to be here. You guys uh, excited? Yeah? So if you uh, know your Bibles or have been paying attention, uh, the book of Jonah is only four chapters. So this is the conclusion of our... Is that me? I'll figure this out. There we go. I was just excited too. So it's the conclusion. I think it's a very interesting conclusion to the book, as all of you who were paying attention closely as we read through the text just now. It ends very abruptly. It ends very suddenly. And it kind of leaves questions of what happens to Jonah. What's, why does this story end so fast? Why does it end so abruptly and without much... Uh, answers to why. I think we're going to hopefully get a better understanding of that today as we go through it. And uh, I believe that God is trying to teach Jonah a lesson. That's the whole point of this last chapter. And we'll see as we kind of go back through the book that it was his point all along, that God was always kind of had a focus on Jonah as an object lesson. He wanted to teach Jonah something, and I'm hoping that we also will be taught these lessons so that our story doesn't end so abruptly as Jonah's does, but hopefully begins today and continues on. We don't want to have such short stories in our walk with the Lord as Jonah does. And so I believe that throughout the story, Jonah always is the center He's always the center of what's happening, right? He's the, I mean, it's the book of Jonah, and he's always the focus. And it's to make a point. God is trying to make him the object lesson. And we see that very clearly in the conclusion that we'll get to at the end. But just in case you've missed the last few weeks, and to kind of re-emphasize some key things that we see, I want to go quickly through uh, in review of the few chapters of the book. And I'm hoping if you're paying attention, there are some reoccurring themes, some reoccurring things that we see again and again throughout the book that are phrases especially that are used throughout the book in relation between God and Jonah. So in the first chapter, Jonah receives a personal call from the Lord. And we looked at how awesome that would be. He's called by name, Jonah. He's given a purpose. I want you to go to Nineveh. And he's given a message to give to the people. He knows exactly what his mission is. He's given a specific word to deliver to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah knows his purpose before God. He knows what God is telling him to do. (laughs) Somebody scored a point. Ooh, 1-1. I'm actually watching the game up here as well. Sorry if I get distracted. No, I'm just kidding. It's the, it's the good thing about an iPad. I can just split the screen. It's not happening, I promise. Maybe. So, that's good. That might, be, that might be a recurring thing throughout tonight. Keep us on our toes. So, <laughs> back on track. In the first chapter, God gave him his call. He knows what his purpose is. We looked at how awesome it would be, how... How as Christians, we seek that, right? We want to know what God's calling us to do. God, what am I to do with my life right now? What are you calling me into? What is my purpose? 
What is your plan for my life? And we want to know that. And here's Jonah who has it. He knows what God wants him to do. That's not the hard part. That's clear. But Jonah didn't see it that way. He didn't see it as a gift to know what God had called him to do because he didn't want to do that thing. He didn't want to do what God was calling him to do, which was to go and show grace, show God's compassion to the people of Nineveh. He wanted the message that he was going to give. He knew would change their hearts, as we read today. He said, I knew back at home what you would do because I know the kind of God you are, a God of of love, a God of compassion, slow to anger, quick to forgive. I knew that you would relent from destroying them, and so I didn't want to go. Now, in Jonah's mind, they didn't deserve God's mercy. They didn't deserve God's compassion. And in some ways, we can kind of uh, empathize with him because the, this was, Nineveh was a great, massive city in the heart of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians had, right not long before that, they had, been in a, had occupied Israel. So they had conquered the, the nation of Israel. Some, I, most people would say that uh, at that exact time of this story, most likely they weren't under the rule of the Assyrian Empire anymore, at least for this little gap in history, because Jonah also prophesied for the king of Israel and in the book of Second Kings, and he says in that that they would be freed, and then they are. They're freed from the Assyrian Empire, but nonetheless still an enemy of Israel, an enemy of his people, and they had brutally mistreated the people, because in their times of war, the way that they would go about it, they would have all kinds of forms of torture, and, and they were very good at war. And so as the nation of Israel, as a part of the nation of Israel, they were his enemy, and God was sending, them, sending him to bring a word to change their hearts. So Jonah doesn't see it as a good thing that he knows what God's calling him to do, because he doesn't want to do that thing. He doesn't want to do what God is calling him to do. And he's so enthralled with his passion to not see God's work done, to not see God's grace reach those people, that he, he says he seeks to forestall, as the verse said. That means to delay, to try to prolong this as long as he can. He wants to see them go the wrong way as far and as long as, they, as he can and do everything in his power to prevent God's message from reaching them and reach or God's will for them being done. This is why Jonah is running away in chapter 1. He's running from God's call. It's not that he's running from God. He's running from what God wants him to do. And we looked at how we can tend to do that. If God puts on our hearts to speak to someone about the gospel or to love on somebody, maybe somebody that we don't really want to love on that much, somebody that we might have a little bit of tension with, that sometimes we can maybe say, oh, maybe that wasn't God. Nah, God wouldn't want me to do that. And we can push those things to the side, and that's a type of running from God that we see Jonah did. So he boards a ship. He heads in the opposite direction. Nineveh was inland, so he took the sea and went as far in the opposite direction as he could. And here we see an act of God's compassion. This is one thing we see again and again is God's compassion for Jonah. Jonah is running from God, and God doesn't give up on him. He doesn't say, well, whatever, run away, I'll find someone else. He doesn't just destroy Jonah, as I might have been tempted to do with his stubborn attitude. He doesn't say, forget it then, I'll find someone else, 
as he could have done. He could have found someone else. God seeks after Jonah. And that's something that is an encouragement for us today. That God seeks after us as God sought after Jonah, even in his rebellion, even in his disobedience, even in his running from God. We see an image of a loving father seeking after a rebellious son. And that is an encouragement, at least for me, in my life, that God has sought after me, even when I was going the wrong direction. And so, in his love for Jonah, in his compassion that he's showing him, he sends a storm. That doesn't sound like love when we first hear it, but he sends a storm to get Jonah's attention, to get him to turn back, to go back on the right track. He could have easily repented there, and God would have brought him right back to where he needed to be at that point. Unfortunately, that isn't how it goes. He doesn't listen to the storm. He doesn't hear God in the storm, which was a nudge for Jonah. Instead, he has the sailors of the ship throw him overboard. He'd rather die than see God's will, God's grace, reach the people of Nineveh rather than answer God's call. And then I, I always feel like it should just say, then God said, forget it, the end, end of the book of Jonah. It would be even shorter. But he doesn't. It's not how it ends. In chapter 2, God again is gracious with Jonah. Now he sent a storm. That didn't get his attention. So now he's thrown overboard and he's swallowed by a fish. It's the famous part of the story. He sends a fish to come and swallow Jonah, saving Jonah. And one would think that inside of a fish, he immediately repented. He immediately turned to God, realized that he was an idiot. He was trying to run from God. It was stupid. But no, it takes him three days inside of a fish to get to the point of realizing that he might be wrong. It took three days in a fish. I couldn't even imagine being in a room with a fish for three days. Not mention being inside of one. Through Jonah's prayer, though, of repentance, he does come to a point where he repents. He even thanks God for his discipline in the storm. He thanks God for bringing him to where he is. He begins to see the purpose. He begins to see the call and decides to answer it. The purpose that God had had on his life, that God had given him. Though it's not the greatest of prayers, I have to say. It's not the most heartfelt. And it's a very self-centered prayer. He is the focus of his prayer. He gives God glory. He thanks God. But it's always about himself. And through Jonah, the sailors had been saved. And he doesn't think about them. He doesn't think about now Nineveh might be saved. He only thinks about himself. But he does repent. And God accepts it. And that's encouraging for us. That even just this turning of his heart a little bit, God accepts it. And in chapter 3, Jonah finally obeyed the Lord. He finally does what God had called him to do, what God, the task that God had given him all the way back at the very beginning of chapter 1, which is a great encouragement for us because we tend to mess things up as human beings. We tend to go the wrong way. We tend to miss God on important things in our life, important issues. And there's always this second and third and 50th chance for us when we come to him. 
and we say, God, I might have not done it the best that I could have. I might have messed this up a bit, but I want to try again. He's always there to let us try again. And you never have to feel that you're too far gone for him to use you, that you've messed up too much. He's always there with that second chance because the truth is, as we looked at last week, God doesn't need us. God doesn't use us because we really want him to use us. God, I really want you to use me. That's a good heart to have, but that's not why he uses us. He uses us. He works through us. He gives us a purpose and a vision and a calling for our lives that we all have in him because his plan for your life is to see you fulfill your full potential. To see you fulfill the purpose that he has for your life in its fullness. Everything that he wants to, that wants to do through you. That's his plan. His plan for you is always for your best. That's why he's so quick to say, don't worry. I know you messed up again and again. But come back. Come back. I still want to see you reach the potential you have. Jonah's purpose here was to bring the message that God had given him to the people of Nineveh. In chapter 3, as I said, he finally did it. He finally obeyed him. God used this stubborn, hard-headed, disobedient prophet in this huge way to save an entire city. It was a massive city at that time. And when we last left Jonah, he would had gone through the streets of Nineveh proclaiming what God told him to say, which was not a great message to give, that 40 days and the city will be destroyed. I'm sure he actually enjoyed that part, telling him that the, God was going to destroy the city. But he knew what was really going to happen, that God would use that word to change their hearts. And the king of Nineveh, Immediately as Jonah's, go, the first day that Jonah is walking through the streets, it goes all the way up to the king, and the king proclaims that everybody in the land should fast, stop eating. Even the animals shouldn't eat during this time. And wear sackcloth, which was just a really uncomfortable material that was worn as a sign of mourning because they were in mourning over their sin. They saw immediately what was wrong with their heart. That's the power of the word of the Lord. And the king says in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 9, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. They don't even know what's going to happen. They don't even know if it's going to work. But their hearts had been changed by the word of God. That is the power of the word of the Lord. When God speaks, change happens. When God speaks, transformation happens and God spoke through Jonah and they heard it and their hearts were changed and they wanted to do everything they can to be, to be right before him. So they're fasting. They're calling out to God. They cried out to him earnestly, turning from their evil ways, doing all they can to turn toward God. They didn't just listen to what Jonah said and they didn't just believe that it was true. They acted on it, and there was power in that. And so in verse 10 of chapter 3, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now at this point, I feel like, man, Jonah should be excited. Jonah should be thrilled. How awesome to see God work his compassion through you. 
I mean, not only to have this calling and this great purpose. I mean, can you imagine that to be called to see a whole city turn towards God? We don't see that very often these days. Can you imagine if God said, I'm going to give you a word. I want you to go through the streets of Freiburg and I'm going to turn the whole city to me. Whoa, that's huge. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've maybe had a calling, as I mentioned, calling can be something as simple as God putting something, something on, on your heart to, to go to somebody, to show them kindness, maybe to pray for somebody. Maybe to forgive somebody that's wronged you or hurt you. That's hard to do. And sometimes when we do these things that God calls us to do, we never get to see what happens. God might put it on your heart to forgive somebody, and you go and you forgive them, and it's hard and it hurts, and they're like, whatever. But maybe five years down the road, it changes their life. You don't know. Maybe you never get to see that. It's awesome when you do, though. It's awesome when you get to see the direct result of God working through you. And Jonah does. He gets to see God work. He gets to see the purpose that God had in mind in sending him there. In all of chapter 4, we see a conversation between God and Jonah. Let's first look at Jonah's response one more time keeping in mind of the great thing that God just did through him. Verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. What the heck? He was angry at God for showing love and compassion on these people through him. He didn't want that. What happened? What happened to the Jonah in the whale that that was repenting? And what did he say in the whale? He said, I will say that salvation comes from the Lord. I will say that salvation comes from the Lord. So we have this idea of Jonah wanting to declare that. In chapter 2, last week he obeys God. He does what God told him to do. As we read in the first few verses... Jonah confessed that he knew that God would relent, right? He knew. He said, I know you're gracious, you're compassionate, you're slow to anger, abounding in love. I knew that you wouldn't do this when I, before I even left home, and that's why I tried to stop you. That's why I tried to run away, because I wanted to keep that from happening. And then we, we see this transformation of his heart, and yet he's right back, angry that God is relenting from destroying the city. And in verse 3, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a whiner. Sheesh. I mean, I just want to die. I'm not getting my way. That seems to be the reoccurring theme of Jonah's attitude. And in verse 4, God addresses Jonah with an obvious question. And he does this two times. We'll look closely at both of them. What, but the Lord, in verse 4, But the Lord replied, Is it right? Is it right for you to be angry? Now when God asks, Is it right for you to do anything? It's a loaded question. Don't walk into it. Jonah just goes head first. 
It's a reasonable question, though, isn't it? Is it right? Is it right for you to be angry that I wanted to save them? It's here at this point of the story that I really wonder, God knowing all things, why did you use Jonah? Why didn't you just find somebody else? That seems like a lot of to-do for one to use this guy that doesn't want to be used. Why send the storm on the ship? Why send the whale to swallow him? Why go through all of this work to just get this whiner at the end of the story? Well, it makes us wonder, what is God really trying to do? What is he really trying to do? Well, this is God's love. This is God's love. This is one way that God's love manifests itself. God is going out of his way to use Jonah because he wants to teach him. God wants to work in his heart. He wants to see him transform himself. That God would be so patient to ask somebody acting like this, is it right for you to be angry? So patiently, so kind. So humble to his creation who's angry at his work. We see God's love for Jonah, which is a noteworthy point for us today because this is how God's love can look in our own life. God also is trying to work in our hearts as well. And this text has some lessons for us. Here in chapter 4, it becomes very clear that although Jonah obeyed God, his heart wasn't fully changed through his whale, through the storm, through the whale, through his obedience. His heart is not fully changed. He doesn't fully get how God's compassion works. As I mentioned the last few weeks, the, one of the key themes of this book is that God's compassion is boundless. We don't get to decide where God's compassion is shown. It can even be shown to our enemies. Jonah doesn't get it, at least not when it's extended beyond himself. He was thankful in the whale, seeing how God's compassion was on him. But he doesn't get it anywhere beyond that. In verse 5, I'll read again. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city where he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. This verse just fascinates me. Like all of this that he's been through, God being angry with God, telling God he's angry, and God saying, is it right? And what is his response? Cross his arms, go out, and just sit on a hill and watch, hoping the city is still destroyed. What a, what a nutball. I mean, that is thick. I can just picture him sitting there, breathing heavy, talking under his breath. God save them. I hope not. I believe that he was hoping for one of two possibilities. That God would do the thing that he had originally threatened. And the second part connected to that because he wanted the people 
to turn back to their evil ways. So he's sitting there hoping somebody's going to fall. Somebody's going to fall right back into sin. Somebody's going to mess up. And then it's going to be a chain reaction. The whole city is going to go back against God. And then God's going to have to destroy them. That's what he was hoping for. Now, if we look at Jonah's life, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's an interesting fact, that Jonah, when he prophesied for the king of Israel, God also gave him good news to tell the king, even though that king was evil. And Jonah was upset about that as well, because the king didn't change. He stayed evil. He continued in his evil ways. And so Jonah doesn't believe that God's grace is the way to go. He doesn't believe that compassion is the way to go. He believes that they need to be punished. They were wrong before, and they'll just go right back to their evil ways again. So what's the point? So he's waiting, hoping that happens soon. He's got his little shelter, probably some popcorn, and just waiting to see if God will destroy the city. Why couldn't Jonah see the bigger picture? Why couldn't he step back outside of himself and see God's in control? See, God is a grand designer. That when God has a purpose, it is a good purpose. Why couldn't he see that? That God's love and compassion can be extended beyond himself. That God can show Jonah mercy, show Jonah love as he received But he can also do that to others, even Jonah's enemies. Because Jonah is blinded by his bias. He's blinded by his bias. He sees the world through a tunnel. Only what he sees as right is right. And what he sees as wrong is wrong. He can't see beyond himself. The way that he judges others and their actions is simply that's the way it is. That's the right way. Now this is an image and this is the serious danger of Jonah's heart and something we have to be sensitive to in our own lives. This is an image of one who feels they know better than God. That's the sin of Jonah's heart. He's putting himself in a position that, God, I see what you're doing, but it's not the best. They should be destroyed. Your way isn't right. And God asked them, is it right for you to be angry with me? Do you really feel that you know what's best? Do you really feel that you have the right to judge my actions? Is it right for you to do that? That is the reality of Jonah's anger. To put himself in a position of judging God and his actions. And when I think about that, again, I see such a patient God to, to come down and say, is it right? Do you think, you know, it's like when you ask a child, was that, was that the right thing to do? It's a loaded question. Say, no, I'm wrong. He, Jonah doesn't get it. Of course, we'd never do that, right? Never be angry with God that things didn't work out the way we wanted them to. That our life kind of went in a direction we didn't want it to go in. That things seemed unfair. God, why? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening this way? It's fine to ask God why. It's fine to not, to, to seek to want to understand God's purpose in something. 
But in the end, if we don't get the answer we want, we have to come to a point where are we going to be angry? Are we going to feel betrayed? Are we going to feel wronged by God? Are we going to say, wait a minute, you know what? In the end, I, I trust you, God. I know that you know best. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I trust you. In verse 6 through 8, God presents Jonah with a practical object lesson about this. Let's read through that all together. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that, it grew, that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And said it would be better for me to die than to live. He's really starting to sound kind of like a diva. I mean, that's a little dramatic, don't you think? How he even wants to die because of a plant? Dude, take it easy, man. Let's also point out something really interesting in this text. This is the only time in the entire book of Jonah where Jonah's happy. It's the only time we see him have a smile on his face. He's angry about what God called him to do, so he runs away. He's inside of a fish. I don't think he was smiling much there. He obeys God, but grudgingly, because he was hoping that God would still destroy the city. But here, he's got some shade. I am. Life's pretty good. Totally changes his attitude. The only time we see him happy is when God gave him this gift of comfort. Just because. God lovingly provided a plant just so Jonah would be a little more comfortable. Just because he can. And Jonah's response here throughout this shows us the true nature of his heart. Jonah is narcissistic at the least. He's selfish. He's acting like a spoiled child. He's so completely consumed with his own needs that he doesn't even care anymore to be angry. That fascinates me. He was so furious that God would save those people. Got some shade? Ah, Very happy all of a sudden. That's nuts to me. He's all about how things are affecting him. When he saw that God wanted to love his enemies, he was angry. He's got some shade. Things are going well. He got a raise at work. The sun was out. Things were going good for him. And he's happy. Take it away. Angry, want to die. Jonah sees his own needs as the center of the universe. Where how he feels is what's most important. And what he thinks must be right. Now Jonah's not completely disillusioned. He is a prophet. But when he's faced with a situation that he simply doesn't approve of, he quickly changes his demeanor. Even he'd rather die than see God's will done when he doesn't see it as right. He can't see beyond himself. And the truth is that for most of us, We can often become 
like this so easily, blinded by our bias, consumed with how the world affects us, how things are affecting me, how I feel, how others are making me feel, how my circumstances are affecting me. Whether it's when things are good, we got the leafy shade, things are nice, I'm happy. Then as soon as things are hard, going not our way, even in the will of God, even as if it's God's will, if God is directing you into something and you don't like it, this anger or this bias or this discomfort or this dissatisfaction with who God is and what God is doing in your life. We can become hateful. It's so unfair, God. Why me? I'm guilty of this. I'll quickly give, it's a small example, but it's one that God really taught me this exact lesson, so I'll share it with you. I had a bass guitar once, and I loved it. I mean, I really loved that bass guitar. I had it for many years, and I've played bass since I was like 12, so bass was, I mean, it was like an extension of who I was. And I moved here to Germany, and pretty quickly after I moved here, it was stolen. And that really sucked. I was, that was a comfort in my life. That was something that made me happy. And it was taken from me, and I was like, God, why? You called me to Germany. I came here. Of course, I brought my bass with me, but you know. Why would that happen? I'm doing what you want me to do. And my base is stolen. It was also like $1,200, so it was like a really nice base. It felt unfair. But I learned this lesson. That in the end, it was just a base. It took me like two years to be able to say that with a straight face. It's just a base. The problem was that I saw in my heart that its value in my life had become greater than the one who had provided it in the first place. Everything good comes from the Lord. It was God that had blessed me with the ability to get that base. And it was taken from me. And I realized, hey, it's just a base. God is greater. I never want anything to be that important. I don't want to find my happiness in things. And just so you know, it was like, about six months after that, God gave me another base where it was completely free. So that was also cool. I believe that this is what one of the things that we can learn from this example that God paints here at the beginning. And something that some of us, not all of us, some of us might need to learn today. When God gave Jonah the plant, he was very happy. It met his basic needs. Things were good. He had comfort in his life. But when God took it away, and that's important to remember, God took it away from him. But God gave it to him. He didn't do anything to deserve it. God gave it to him. And when God took it away, he was angry because the plant was gone, because his comfort was removed. And we're talking about a plant not exactly a base, is it? Maybe he felt betrayed. Maybe he felt wronged that God had took it from him. 
Verse 9, we see God's question again, so patiently with Jonah. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? What does he say? Foolish. It is. It is. It is right for me to be angry. And I'm so angry I wish I were dead. Ay, ay, ay. And he's really starting to sound like a spoiled child. Not getting his way. God says, is it right? Is that right? Do you really think that's right for you to be angry about a plant? You didn't do anything to get it. Jonah, of course, gives this outstanding yes. But was it, was it right for him to be angry? Why did he feel that he had the, this right to be upset with something so small? We can notice the parallel in, in verse 4 where God asked the same question, drawing to the point of what he's really trying to say, which we'll look at in verse 10 through 11. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Is it right? Is it right for you to be angry about a plant when I, I wanted to show compassion to an entire city that was so lost they didn't even know the right way to turn when it came to turning to God? God is saying, you were so concerned about this plant that you didn't do anything to deserve. You didn't earn it. You didn't make it grow. You didn't work for it. It was a gift I gave you just to show you my compassion, to show you that I can show you compassion. So how much more should I show compassion on an entire city? This thing about the animals seems out of place. I think God's trying to connect with Jonah. I mean, he cares about a plant that God took from him. So he even includes, hey, even the animals would have been destroyed. They're not your enemy. These people might, you might feel like these people are your enemies, but what about the animals? They're not your enemy. You didn't give any concern for anything that would happen. You were completely selfish in the way you saw what I was calling you to do. And then the story of Jonah ends so abruptly. How is it that this man can be so greatly used again and again to show God's compassion to people? We saw it with the sailors who repent sacrifice they turn to god because of jonah's stubbornness an entire city of nineveh saved god used him so greatly to show compassion to others and yet he has no concept of what god's compassion really is he's so blind in his heart and his heart remains so hard to the truth why why does his heart remain so hard? Number one, I think it's because he forgot. He forgot the grace that God had shown him. He immediately forgets. He forgets so quickly. We see him go through these transition. 
God calls him. He runs away. But then he sees, oh, wait a minute. No, I, I was wrong. I want to go the right way. I will declare that salvation comes from the Lord. But then as soon as he gets out of the whale before the fish smell even runs off of him, he turns back to a hard heart and gives the minimum message reluctantly to the people of Nineveh. And even in that, he is angry that God isn't destroying them. He forgets. He forgot what the grace that was shown him, the compassion that was shown him in the whale. And here, we see this immediate example. It's almost comical. In one day, he goes from very happy, thankful, to I'm so angry I want to die. Do you not see that God had just given you that plant? (laughs) Must have been a close call. God just showed you grace, just showed you compassion. And yet as soon as things aren't going your way, as soon as things aren't the way you want them to be, he's angry again. He doesn't get the real image of God's work and God's compassion in his own life. And it's such irony because this man who's shown such great compassion, God is so patient with him, so loving, seeking after him, and yet he doesn't get God's compassion at all. Don't forget. Don't forget what God has done for you because life will not always go well. Life will not always be easy. You will face times where things are going great. You've got the shade. Life's good. You'll feel happy. But don't let that be the thing that defines your happiness, that defines your joy, that defines who you are. Because it won't always be there. It won't always be there. Jesus promised life will be hard when we follow him. We will suffer. And so we have to remember the times that are good. Don't be like Jonah and forget immediately what God had did for you, what God did for you last week, because this week is hard. And something I encourage people to do a lot is to keep a journal. Write things down. You have a really good week, don't just be don't just enjoy it, write it down. So that when the next week comes and it's hard, you can be like you can go back and look and wait, God, God is gracious. It's not, I don't get the shade every single day, but God is gracious. He's compassionate on me. And I know that I'll see good days again. Don't forget the things that God has given you. The grace through Jesus Christ, your life, every breath you take, the promise that is to come, eternity with Christ. We have things to be thankful for. Don't forget those things in the midst of the harder times and the harder days. Jonah forgot the grace that had been shown him by God. Or maybe he just chose not to see it. We too can forget the good in the midst of the hard times. But it's important to remember everything that God does for us. The second thing, why his heart remains hard, is that he didn't see That God was in control. That God is sovereign. That God is in control over everything. Every, this is the one thing I hoped that you guys would notice. 
as I went through, God was in every single aspect of the story. God caused the storm. God caused a fish. God gave him a word. God called him. God changed the hearts. What, did it, what does it say when the people of Nineveh uh, receive the message? It says they receive the message of God. God did all of those things. God sent the plant, the vine, to grow up and give him shade and comfort. But God also sent the worm that destroyed it. God was always in control through everything that he did, through his obedience and his disobedience, his stubbornness, his childlike behavior, God was still in control every, in every aspect of what happened in Jonah's life. No matter what Jonah did, God remained in control. And this reminds me of, of a famous verse, Romans 8.28. Most of you will have heard this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That always, it's an uplifting verse. It's so encouraging. And we should be encouraged and strengthened by that verse. But what I want to tell you today is what we see in the story of Jonah, that's how it looks sometimes when God is working all things for good. It doesn't mean it's going to be palm trees and hammocks. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that life is always going to be a breeze. But it means that no matter what we're facing, God is trying to work it out for a good. He sent the storm. He sent the fish. He gave Jonah this lesson at the end with the vine and the worm. Because he's working it out for a purpose in Jonah. Working in Jonah. In all the events, we see the phrase, God provided. God provided the storm. God provided the vine. God provided the worm. God was working in all of these things. So don't let how God is working in your life right now determine whether or not you're going to be happy whether or not you're going to be angry. Don't let how God is working in your life right now, the thing that you're going through right now in your life, determine your joy. Instead, find your hope and your joy in the one who's in control and that he is working something out for good in your life. He's working all things. Now, we don't know what happened next, but because this story ends so abruptly, it seems Jonah chose to not change his heart. And his story just stopped. So I want to encourage you to remember what God has done in your life. To keep your heart soft to him speaking to you. And never stop going to him and calling on him in every situation you face. You won't always understand the why or the how but trust that God is in control and keep your eyes and your hearts open to what he's doing. I want to invite the band to come back up. Band. Just taking a nap over there. It's all right. I've, I'm just messing with you. I've been, told, I've been told I have a very soothing voice, so 
It's not your fault. So I want to keep this picture in your mind. That today, let this be the beginning of your story. As I said at the beginning. Let this be the beginning of your story. Continue to seek God. Continue to trust in Him. And to see Him as mighty and in control of all things. Don't let your story end as Jonah's did. So abruptly with a hard and stubborn heart. Stay soft and open to what he's doing in your life. As the band uh, will lead us in one last song together, we also want to take some time for the offering.